It's Church Appreciation Sunday, so I appreciate everyone joining us today, especially our guests. Already met a couple of new guests. That's always exciting. And of course, all those online. Uh, for those online, if you're blessed by something today, go ahead and hit the like button and comment as well. That just helps to boost it to more people. And we want to reach more people with this. Um, but it's so good to see everyone in person today. And uh, we, let's give a thanks to everyone serving. Natalie doing announcements, Merrick on worship, everyone on the back here serving our greeters. Let's give a big thank you. Serving uh, means so much when uh, people serve. Uh, I'm going to be preaching today from Hebrews chapter 12, verses, uh, I think it's Hebrews 12, verse 4 through 13. I'll get there in just a minute. But uh, it's Church Appreciation Sunday, so we're doing a few special things. And you might be, you might be asking, is, is, is this an official thing, Church Appreciation Sunday? Where does this come from? Well, I made it up. But like all other things, they're all made up too. So we made this up. We're trying it out this year. We'll see how it goes. But we've got stickers. So I'm wearing a Jesus Hearts You sticker and a God Bless You sticker and a Be The Light sticker. So I didn't, I didn't realize that, that people, there are lots of people that really like stickers, right? I've already, some, some people are very excited about the stickers. So, and some people are nervous because they're actually really high quality stickers. They don't want to put them on their clothes. But just do it. Just go ahead and do it. You can get more stickers. Like, it's okay. So, sorry, Natalie. I'm not picking on Natalie for that. Um, but they're out in the lobby, and we have some chocolates as well, the ones, the Dove ones that have the little um, cheesy positive messages in them, the wrappers. So they're not Bible verses, so just take it you know, lightheartedly. Um, and uh, we have cupcakes in the lobby afterwards as well. So if you want to hang around and have a cupcake afterwards, that would be fun as well. Two more things I want to do for Church Appreciation Sunday before we get into our sermon today is I've written a letter to you guys, to the church. So I just want to read this letter of appreciation. Of course, it's dated August 1st, 2021. Dear Trinity Church, this is my letter to you guys. It is with a grateful heart that I write these words of appreciation. I am extremely grateful to God for our church family, for each one of you. Through all the ups and downs, all the victories and disappointments, all the laughs and tears, you have been a source of many blessings and an answer to prayer. Thank God for Trinity Church. There are five things that particularly come to mind. Number one, I appreciate your love for Jesus and the Bible. With all the pressures that many churches face, I still see a loyalty to Jesus and a love for the Word in you. I know that you want me to teach the Bible, to proclaim Jesus, and to not waver from that path. Your pursuit of God and dedication to the truth has made our church unpopular with some, but I know it is pleasing to God. Your faithfulness fills me with faith. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Number two. I appreciate your concern for my family. With our youngest daughter's disabilities and my wife's caregiver burnout in recent years, you have shown genuine compassion and care. We could not have made it through without the understanding that many of you expressed, the help that many offered, and the encouragements you gave. We would never want our burdens to burden you but you have still carried our weight with us. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Number three, I appreciate your willingness to serve. 
You will never know how much I am blessed when I see and hear about people serving at Trinity. I'm humbled and inspired by your Christ-likeness. You give up significant time and energy. You collaborate. You go above and beyond. Many of you do things that you were never asked to do and you may never be recognized for. Your desire to spend time investing in our church community is one of the greatest sources of encouragement to me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Number four, I appreciate your financial generosity. I've always said that we have a very generous church, and with confidence I can continue to say it. You guys are stinking generous. Thank you for every gift given. Without it, we would not be in the place we are. I know God sees and honors your gifts. That's what the Word says. But I want you to know that I see your generosity, and it means the world to me. It gives me confidence that you love God and that you want our church to succeed. It also indicates that you want me to succeed. You want my family to succeed, and you want all our leaders to succeed. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate, number five, last one, I appreciate your grace and discernment. Your graciousness with my shortcomings and your wisdom in the midst of challenges is extremely encouraging. I enjoy and experience God's grace through you. You teach me about God's good character. Thank you for every ounce of grace that you have extended to me. Thank you also for the discernment and the maturity that you show. You shine light into the shadows. You fight for the truth. You believe the best. You regularly share the grace of Jesus with me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate you, Trinity Church. So I'm going to give you a little round of applause. <laughs> All right. One more thing I want to do. I want us to take out, you have my permission to take out your phone. I want us all to take 60 seconds to send a text message, ideally to someone in our church. If you're new or you don't have any numbers for anyone, um, then pick the next best person you can think of, somebody from another church, somebody in your life that you want to send appreciation to, send thanks to. And if you're not sure what to say, just say, just think of the person that comes to mind the most that you, you want to be appreciative of. And the simplest thing to say would just be to say, I just want you to know today, I, just, I appreciate you. You can say more than that, you can, you can message more people, but at least do that. Okay, so let's jump into the sermon for today. So, uh, and just, just to say, you may not get a message from somebody, all right? That's not the point of doing this. The point is not to receive appreciation. The point is to express it. So uh, the blessing is in the expressing. See what I did there? All right, so excuse my presentation today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be kind of referring to my notes, reading from my notes pretty extensively today. Did not have time to commit my sermon to memory as I normally would, but bear with me here. We'll, uh, we'll get through this. So we're continuing to teach through the New Testament book of Hebrews. And uh, we've done this for the last several years. We've been slowly working our way through Hebrews. And this year, 2021, it's going to be the year that we finish Hebrews. So we're in chapters 12 and 13. And um, we, we have kind of reimagined this series in the past. We used to call it outrageous because Hebrews says some very outrageous things. But we've uh, rebranded it or re reimagined it to be called Reconciled. 
And uh, reconciliation is a big theme throughout the Bible, but it's also a very big theme in the book of Hebrews. And uh, the, the, the idea that the human race needs to be reconciled to God, but then through that reconciliation, we be- can become reconciled to one another. So in Hebrews, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the old scriptures and the work of God in ancient Israel. This is one of the things that people don't realize about the Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible. Jesus is revealed to us as the greatest hero that the world needs, and that temples and the great fathers of the faith like Moses and great acts of sacrificial worship and some of the strict dietary requirements, all the things in the Old Testament that we don't quite understand nowadays, they're all They're important, there were things from God, but they were all insufficient, all partial attempts at being made right with and and knowing God. Because there's always something inadequate, something limited about them, about those forms and those functions. And there's always something wrong with the founders and the mediators and the people that administered and did those things. Always Always some major shortcomings that always made it problematic in certain ways. And so God came amongst his own people, came as a son, revealed not as a son, he is a son, revealed and born, though, to human parents and became as a brother to us, to heal us and to show us the way to be the mediator instead of simply just using mediators. All the strange things in the Old Testament, and if you read the Old Testament, there are some strange things. They were all signs and patterns and images that God was painting to show us what he was going to do through Jesus. So through the Exodus, we've even talked about this year, earlier this year, the Exodus out of Egypt, through the wilderness, through the building of the tabernacle, this temple tent that they built to make sacrifices, through the promised land, through all of these things in the old scriptures for ancient Israel, God started to build a bridge to the human race. And then Jesus came to finish the bridge by coming as a man, living a sinless life, being mistreated, And persecuted and going through the wilderness, tearing the curtain in the temple in half and becoming a substitution for our sins on the cross. He defeated death by resurrection and now offers us eternal life. He completed the mission, the second part that God had began earlier. By Jesus dwelling amongst us, tabernacling amongst us, by becoming the great high priest, by becoming the sacrifice itself, Jesus has done away with sin permanently and has done all the heavy lifting of reconciliation. This is the grace of Jesus. Before I read, read the scripture to us, I want to frame. So that's a summary of, of Hebrews, a little bit of an overview there. Some of the big themes in, in the book of Hebrews, just to kind of catch you up to speed, if you're not familiar with this. Hebrews is a bit of a dense book in the Bible, but um, God and the Holy Spirit helps us to understand it. Let me frame this passage today with a story Real quick, I want to tell you this story. A woman was visiting Switzerland, and she came across a sheepfold on one of her daily walks. And she ventured inside the sheepfold. And laying on a pile of straw was an injured sheep. It was suffering somehow. So looking closely, the woman saw that it had a broken leg and could not walk. Her sympathy went out to the suffering sheep. She found the shepherd and asked what had happened. And the shepherd said, Of all the sheep in my flock, this is the most wayward. It would not obey my voice and would not follow when I was leading the flock. 
On more than one occasion, it wandered to the edge of a perilous cliff. Not only was it disobedient itself, but it was leading other sheep astray. And assuring the woman that the sheep was fortunate, that it had an injury that it could recover from, the shepherd gave the sheep some food and water. But the woman was still concerned. And she asked, But how can the sheep be safe once it recovers? Won't it just be wayward again? Please tell me where it broke its leg so I can try to make it safer somehow. Now what the shepherd said to her completely shocked her and silenced her. I'll tell you what he said towards the end of the sermon. So hold your breath on that. Let me pray and then we're going to read the Bible. Jesus, teach us today through your word. Help us to understand your love for us and how you are a good, good father to us. And for all those today with us in person or online that don't know you, I pray, God, bring them into a true and living relationship with you. Lord, enrich our faith today. Help us to obey you completely and trust you in all your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 12, 4 through 13. It says, In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, an earthly, we have earthly fathers who, dis, who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. This is God's word. Now the first few verses here, verses 4 through 6, we see the Bible is unapologetic. Sin is the major problem. Of course, there's the tempter, spiritual forces at work, of course, can't forget that. Of course, there are cultural forces at work, can't forget that. But in both of those things, we cannot forget the struggle against sin is one of the biggest reasons that Jesus came and that we need Jesus. Sin must be defeated, must be resisted, must be destroyed, must be overcome. So Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. One of the central features of that prayer. And we're not alone 
in our struggle against sin, right? We have the Holy Spirit to empower us, to guide us. We have God's Word to enrich us and remind us. We have each other for encouragement and consolation and, and accountability. But most importantly, we have the cross of Jesus that broke the power of sin. It broke the power of sin. So yes, sin is a big problem, but the curse and the power of sin and the condemnation and judgment of sin has been nullified through the cross of Jesus. So we're still vulnerable to temptation, which is why we pray, lead us not into temptation, but we're fundamentally new creations born of the Spirit. So we can't ignore the seriousness of sin. Sin is still a really serious problem problem. If you're not a believer, that's your biggest problem is dealing with your sin. But for the Christian as well, the resistance of of new sin and temptation is one of the biggest problems that we face. So we can't ignore the seriousness of it, nor can we think that it's an unwinnable battle. Because if we do, we may hopelessly flounder around in temptation and sin, unable to rise above it. So the truth is, we, we, there is a struggle, and the, the verse here that we began with, the verse 4, says, in your struggle against sin. We struggle. It's a struggle. Life is a struggle. Sin, temptation, it's a struggle. But we do not struggle with a sense of loss, a sense of weakness. We struggle, actually, with victorious achievement because of what Jesus has done for us. And the Hebrews says here that you know, you've not struggled to the point of spilling your blood, saying, saying you're not dead yet. You know, there are martyrs and people who have physically been persecuted for their faith. So we must remember our struggle, it's not as severe as others. It's a comparison to encourage us. We must remember that our struggle is, it could, it, the struggle you face can always be worse, but also you're never tempted beyond your ability to respond to it and the power that God can give you to respond to it. In verses 7 through 9, it told us that children get disciplined. It's kind of standard parenting. Children get disciplined. At least they should. If parents know what's good for their children, they will discipline them. And that's how we know, is that my son's laughing back there or somebody's kid's laughing back there? And that's how you know that you're a son. That's how you know you belong to God. Now, don't be put off by the language of sonship. Obviously, our culture is sensitive to these kind of things nowadays, but don't be put off by that. It's referring, simply referring to all offspring. So the idea of you know, the father and son relationship in God, you know, the father and Jesus, because we're all in Jesus, whether we're men or women, we're in Jesus, he's the son. We're, it's, a, it's a metaphor for us. We can be called, all be called sons because we're in Jesus. And the Bible also says that we're the bride of Christ. So it uses both different types of metaphors to describe our relationship with God. So don't, don't get too bent out of shape about the idea of sonship. It just means offspring, children. But some may ask, if we've been forgiven in Christ, why would God still punish us? Why is there still discipline? I thought we were forgiven. Thought God loved, how can God love us if he's punishing us and disciplining us? We've got to understand this. There's a huge difference between the eternal punishment of our sins which Jesus takes away completely on the cross, and then temporary consequences for our our present-day sin that are designed, the consequences that are designed to shape us and help us in the here and the now. Things that God does to teach us, don't do that again. That is bad for you. That's not what I want for you. Those two things are different things. The second one proves to us, Jesus dying in our place for take away our eternal sin, 
our eternal punishment proves to us God's love. And God disciplining us in the here and now for, and giving us consequences now for our wrongdoing is another sign of God's love for us. And this passage is saying that the sign of belonging to God is that he disciplines us. A good father gives consequences. A good father brings correction. In fact, a lack of discipline in a child's life means that a parent does not care for or love their child properly. I'm not saying they don't love them. All parents, most parents love their kids. I'm sure there are some that don't, and that's very tragic. And of course, when it's talking about we respect the parents that discipline us, it's talking about a, it's imagining an ideal healthy situation. It's not imagining something abusive. But when we see a, a permissive parent not disciplining their children, it means they're not properly loving them or properly caring for them because they don't have their best interests at heart. So this is not an excuse for a disciplinarian approach, right? There's a difference, a huge difference between a wise and firm discipline from a parent and then an overbearing or harsh reaction from a parent. So we have to discern the difference between those things. We also have to discern the difference between a spiritual attack, because we have a tempter, we have an enemy against us, forces against us. But we also have divine discipline from God, and we have to learn the difference between those two things, because they might seem similar at different times. So when things go wrong, it might be God disciplining us to grow us and to protect us and to protect other people, to teach us important lessons. You know, it's a lie. It's an absolute lie that God wants an easy, cushy, healthy, wealthy, pain-free existence for us. God wants the best for us, yes. But a true child of God learns to receive the hardships from God and allows themselves to be trained by them. They see, if I have stepped into and done something I shouldn't have done, the only natural consequence, if I'm loved by God, is to be disciplined for that. If earthly parents did this because they love us, earthly parents, then how much more will our heavenly parent do it? Consequences are good for us. This is what verses 10 and 11 says. Let me reread verses 10 and 11. It says this, for they, they earthly parents disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we can't mince words about this. God's discipline is painful and unpleasant. It is painful and unpleasant. It will hurt. I recently read a story of a child who accidentally took sleeping pills. And of course the parents are freaked out. Talk to the doctor. The doctor tells the parents, keep, you must keep the child awake by any means necessary for at least four hours, including slapping him in the face if necessary. Which apparently they had to do. The pain was necessary for the child's survival, and I'm sure he learned his lesson not to take pills that you don't know what they are. It's a kind of a built-in life-saving and disciplinary action at the same time. There are moments of specific pressure and discomfort and pain that we experience from God as a response to the waywardness and the sin that we commit. Because you know, our culture is very sensitive to this topic. It's funny, 
Actually, I feel like our culture should be less sensitive to the, the issue of sin. You know, we have to unapologetically talk about it. It's not fun to talk about sin, right? Because you, you feel, it makes you feel bad. Um, but you know what? If you can have a relationship with a holy, transcendent God, you have to square that away. You have to square away the fact there's junk in here, there's problems in here that have to be dealt with for me to know God and love God and experience his grace and be close to him. So our culture doesn't like to talk about sin, but actually we live in a very judgmental culture that loves to point out people's sin right now. So it's kind of a hypocrisy that people don't like Christians talking about sin, when I think our culture is way more judgmental now than probably than, than some of the most judgmental churches that you could imagine. It's gotten toxic. But hey, so, so maybe, maybe our culture will begin to understand how serious sin is. You know, if you're offended by a tweet someone sent 20 years ago, consider a holy God, how offended he might be by all the things we've done. And the purpose of discipline is to help us be rid of our sin, to help us overcome it, to increase our holiness, that our character might be more like God. In fact, all of life is God's training program for becoming more mature. We are eternal students in God's school of existence, in God's school of life. We're, we can never get to a point where we feel like, yeah, I've, I've kind of arrived, I've kind of made it as a Christian. It doesn't happen. We're always students. We're always humble, learning. There's always things we don't understand. There's always more to learn, more, to, to, more ways to change and grow. So, and to become, you know, for example, to become more patient, we must be around people who test our impatience. So, if you're at Trinity, plenty of people around to test your patience. To learn to forgive, we have to be wronged. To learn to love, we have to make sacrifices. To experience peace, we have to resolve conflict. You know, to, we, we've got to go through the valley before we get to the peak. And in all of our discomfort, we have to understand discomfort leads to fruitfulness. There's no other way to be fruitful than to go through the discomfort, to embrace it. Now, what is the difference between a spiritual attack and a divine act of discipline. Because they may appear similar to us at times, but we have to better discern the differences between them. Let me give us a few pointers here. Let me say this, both will be painful. A spiritual attack and divine discipline, both will be painful. But discipline will end in security rather than insecurity. You have a greater sense that you're known and loved by God. Both will produce stress. But discipline won't trap us in stress. Both will be a bit discouraging. Now, that might be hard to understand. You might say, well, God, God wouldn't want to discourage me. God only wants to discourage, only to encourage me. But I don't... See, here's the hard thing about discipline is it's how you, partly how you receive it. It's, it's the, the, the softness of your own heart to, to accept God's consequence willingly. But here's the differences. So both may be discouraging, but discipline will not attack your identity. It won't crush you at your deepest core of who you are. The nuance with that, here's what you've got to be careful about, discerning about. Here's what we all have to do. Is if there's a dis if God brings a consequence in our lives, sometimes the lie can come in that, well, that's a sign that God doesn't love you which is the complete opposite of the truth. <laughs> God disciplines me because he loves me. Because he loves me. Both may cause loss. We may lose something. 
That's typically how a discipline works, is that you lose something, right? You definitely lose comfort. But the difference is that discipline will ultimately bring redemption. So it will ultimately be constructive rather than destructive. So let's not be too quick to blame the boogeyman when God is actually the one correcting those he loves. Instead, we need to ask, what is God teaching me? Where have I sinned? Where am I going wrong? Where am I resisting God's will? Where have I been disobedient? All of those things. And that we realize, if I've been disobedient, because you know what? We're not stupid. Well, let me take that back. Sorry. Sorry, sometimes we can be really stupid. Sorry, we, we can all be really stupid sometimes. But, but let me, what I'm trying to say is this. We know the truth, and God's given us a conscience, and the Holy Spirit's at work in our lives. And when we step out of bounds, out of the things that are clearly revealed in God's Word, and out of the bounds of what even God's, just the nature that God's given us, we know we're stepping into territory we shouldn't be in. We know we're doing it. We can justify it. We can convince ourselves that we can talk ourselves into it. The Bible says the heart's deceitful above all else. We can, we can talk ourselves to a place of thinking it's okay. But once, if we're, if we're aware we're doing something disobedient, we should not be surprised by discipline. So how do we respond to God's discipline? These last two verses tell us how we need to respond to all of this. Verses 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your, paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Because a spiritual attack or discipline, both can be kind of a downer, right? Our countenance can droop. We want, we want to think about this individually, how we affect it individually in our lives, but also we can think about this collectively for our church. Your countenance can droop. You know, as a church, we were shut down for a long time during the pandemic, like most churches were. And we've seen a lot of good people from Chicago, move away from Chicago. A lot of good people, a lot of people that we love move away. Others have distanced themselves for different various reasons. We've had other turmoil. Our hands may be drooping. Our knees may be weakened. We may have partial lameness, like it's describing here, and temporary paralysis, like it's describing here. And rather than further being put out of joint, because it's basically saying here that your hands are drooping, your knees are weak, your you're kind of out of joint, your feet are out of joint, but rather than it getting worse and compounding and being crushed and being completely paralyzed by this, now's the time to respond. Now's the time to, to raise your hands, to strengthen your knees, to set your path straight and to seek that healing. Three things to respond with here. Three things real quick. First, the first response I think we need to have is this. We need to understand that no one else can make a response for us. If we're under God's discipline or we're being attacked or we're downcast for any reason, no one else can raise our hands for us. No one else can strengthen our weak knees for us. People can encourage us. Of course, God helps us. But you have to understand our response is our responsibility. And the second one there is very close to the first one. The second response is alongside with no one else can do this for us is that we must take action. Just like no one gets you out of bed in the morning, you get yourself out of bed in the morning. You've got to be somebody who seeks that healing. It says, I've got to strengthen my, if my knees are weak and my hands are drooping, 
I've got to raise my hands again. I've got, to, I've, got to, I've, got, I've got to raise them up again. I've got to strengthen my knees. I've got to, God's with me. God's going to help me. Others can encourage me, but I've got to take action. And the third thing to respond is we need to embrace discomfort. Embrace discomfort. You know, I think during the last you know, year and a half plus, we already live in a very therapeutic culture, a, very, a culture that doesn't like discomfort and pain. So this message is actually probably pretty hard for us, actually. But I think it's gotten worse. I think our resistance to discomfort has gotten worse as a culture. We need to embrace discomfort and face it and understand the purpose of pain and to see that the discipline of God is a good thing. So what did the shepherd say to the woman in Switzerland? How did that sheep break its leg and will it be safe? Well, the shepherd responded and said this, he said, based on my experience with this kind of sheep, I knew I had no other choice. I broke its leg. I broke its leg. And after doing so, on the next day, I took it food. But it tried to bite me. Then after leaving it alone for a couple of days... I went back, and it not only eagerly took the food, but it licked my hand and showed every sign of submission and affection. And the shepherd continued, Now I know this. Once this sheep has recovered, it will be the model sheep of my entire flock. No sheep will hear my voice so quickly, nor follow so closely. Instead of leading others astray, it will be an example of devotion and obedience. We don't always see, do we, how we're endangering ourselves? Because sheep can't navigate, they can't tell, you know, they don't have very good depth of perception, they can't find food, they eat poisonous things, they make all these mistakes. Just like sheep, we can't tell when we're in danger or when we're negatively influencing others. We don't always realize how important it is to follow every single word of the Good Shepherd. Every single word of the Good Shepherd. Learning to have that submitted heart to God, that soft heart to Him. We have to see our pain as God's work to transform us, not to destroy us, but to save us, to care for us because He loves us. Because He loves us. Let's have the band come back up or the band member, Merrick, today. We need to... <laughs> It's, you know, it's, it's nice, in, pre, in the last few weeks we had a full band as well, but it's nice to have a full band or sometimes it's nice just to have a simple worship set as well. Both are important. We have to remember this. Let me close with this on verse 4 that we read. The first verse we read, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You know, Jesus was the one who had the ultimate struggle against sin. Not his sin, he had no sin of his own, but the struggle, ultimate struggle against sin our sin that he fought on the cross. And he fought to the point of shedding his blood to redeem us. He faced the greatest punishment to take our eternal judgment. Therefore, only Jesus can remove our sin. Only Jesus can remove our sin. And only he can discipline us in a way that trains us to get rid of the sin in our lives. So let's keep learning to submit 
to him and to respond to him. Today, if you want to respond to him, if you, if you want to follow Jesus for the first time, if you want to rededicate your life, if you want prayer today, if you want to get more involved at Trinity, if you want to, want to be baptized, we're planning baptisms this coming fall, if you want to get just more involved in any way, you want to give today, respond, respond. The way you can respond is to use that Connect card that Natalie talked about. You can text the word ENJOY to 94000 and you can respond that way.